Just press say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. All right, right there. Bears. Bears. White Bears. caps. White caps. Buicks. Hankies. Hanky. Handkerchief. Handkerchief. Yeah. Weren't you on the Tim McGraw tour? Yes. Tell me about that. I, I gave him uh, pedicures. Did you really? That's awesome. <laughs> no. Um, man, um, gosh. I, had, I, I always feel obligated to put everything in context. So at that point, I was living in Nashville. Um, finished up an interior design degree. Not to be confused with interior decorating. Uh, and uh, and also, other side point, worked in design and architecture for years. Um, but, you know, in Nashville, uh, at that time, I was managing a furniture store. And uh, in Nashville, you sell to, you know, musicians and stuff, and you get hooked up with people. Long story short, I got hooked up with this guy who, who did work with him, and... Um, he basically contracted me to do the stuff that he couldn't do because I was single at the time and actually freshly divorced. Um, ironically, my wife was a singer-songwriter, oh, really? and I ended up working for Tim McGraw. Uh, clarify. Anyhow, um, so yeah, he, he was kind of a family guy, and, and he wanted to contract me to go out of the road and do stuff that, that he didn't want to leave his family to do. So I got to do some really cool stuff. Really? Um, go up to uh, Woodstock, New York, to a 28,000-square-foot estate that was built at the turn of the century with a great hall and a 200-foot fireplace. And the, the whole hall was converted into a state-of-the-art studio that Nora Jones, David Bowie, Tim McGraw would go to. Um, and went up there basically for a month and decked this place out. For him to record the Live Like You're Dying album. And we, I mean, it was crazy. He's high maintenance, but he's Tim McGraw, you know. I mean, we drop ship, you know, candles there and set it up and took two guys two hours every night to go around and light all the candles in the whole place and, you know, just kind of create an environment. But it was really cool. Um, and then we got to go out on tour for basically the summer of 2004. Um, and coordinate and set up and tear down a pre-show party. Yeah. So yeah, did that as well. That's pretty interesting. When was this? From basically off and on 2001 to 2004. Had he gotten sober yet? Um, not technically. No. How do you technically get sober? But he was, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, Cause I know from I'm, personal I'm, experience, how you get sober I'm going to say no comment on that because... Um, you don't want to out him? Yeah. Okay. No, honestly, it, it, my experience with him, which was kind of close but removed... Sure. He was... Uh, I mean, he was he was a good dude. You yeah. You know, he, he, he was... He had integrity. You know, he had an air about him that was just... You just respected him. And I mean, he was always busy, so he's always hardworking. Um, so yeah, very but, driven, very yeah. top A, yeah, kind so, of eccentric. Yeah, he, he actually, um, 
what, what's that called? Nut check me one time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So Tim McGraw like touched your balls. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. So I got that going for me. They're, they're like magical now. Exactly. <laughs> now you can't cut them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about a your vasectomy earlier. Your sack was blessed by Tim McGraw. <laughs> you could say that. No, but to to go back to that. Um, yeah, it was country music, but it was a rock and roll lifestyle. Sure. To talk about uh, kind of being sober in a sense. Um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I was making a lot of money. Mm. But, man, there was just so much temptation and things that were dragging me down. And I was wholeheartedly taking advantage of it. I mean, he was sponsored by Bud Light, for crying out loud. So sure. You had all the Bud Light in the world you wanted. Plus, to he's a beautiful man, and I'm sure he's just extremely Was he beautiful. married at the time? Yeah, Faith. She would come out on tour and bring the kids, and gosh, she's even more beautiful in person. Is she? Yeah. Is she? Are they pretty nice people? Oh yeah, they yeah, just they're they're pretty normal. Sure. Yeah. He's a he's big into CrossFit now. I think he is. I mean, he's always been. He would bring all these fifty-two foot trailers full of all kinds of stuff, uh, basketball hoops and sure motorcycles, and a whole gym in one trailer. I mean, with him on the road. So. It's like The Rock. He's got the Iron Paradise he takes yeah. with him everywhere, and you yeah. see all these pictures. That dude's amazing. Like, do you follow him on Instagram or anything? Rock? Yeah. Every now and then. His, his, uh, it's always like up at four, traveling somewhere, and then taking a gym with him, and then working out. And, you know, I, I just, I find that really inspiring. Yeah. I like people that are motivated. I was up at four today. Were you really? Yeah. Why? Feeding my son. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really didn't have a, didn't have a choice. choice. It yeah. wasn't like you elected to get up and go do some squats. <laughs> right. It was time to get up and do some dad stuff. Exactly. Which is the whole point of this. And so yep. thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm man. here with my buddy Ryan Kessel, and and uh, he's gonna he's gonna tell us about what it's like being him. Right on. So um, you're up with Hudson, and he's three months old. Three months old. Yep. Got Hudson and Ava. Ava's almost two and a half. Um, yeah, and um, gosh, I'll just start rambling. Um, I actually had a, a, a realization this morning at four in the morning when I'm feeding my son his bottle, um, and uh, because you know I wake up, I kind of stumble to the bathroom and go, "Oh yeah, I'm doing the podcast today." So I start thinking about all these things through my head, and um, you know I th- think about this letter that that I'll share a little later that that my grandfather wrote my dad on Father's Day. So I'm thinking about this son or this this letter and I'm thinking about my son and thinking about my dad who I kind of had an estranged relationship with and and uh just kind of thinking about points that I wanted to talk to talk talk about today. And uh one of them was one time when uh, I reached out to my dad probably when I was about 23. I'm 44 now. Um I said, hey, Dad, you know, I know we really don't have a good relationship. I'd like to work on it. And his response to me was, well, I'm not one to write letters. So, Ooh. you know, at that time, I was with my ex-wife, and I literally went home and broke down. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, so my back to my uh, realization, as I kind of look over this letter that was written from my grandfather to my dad, I'm holding my son. Everything kind of comes full circle. He's not one to write letters. His dad wrote him a letter to him. Does that mean he can't? He couldn't live up to the shadow of his dad? I don't know. Am I making sense? Sure. But it was it was it was pretty powerful. Maybe it was a little bit of therapy. I don't know. But uh, 
Well, maybe it just gives you some empathy to where he was coming from. Right, right. Were y'all ever able to get a relationship? We were, we were. I mean, bit, kind of backstory. Um, we were, uh, and, and try and follow me here. Born in Michigan, raised in Ohio, moved to Florida, moved to Tennessee, back to Florida, back to Tennessee, then to Texas. But anyhow, born in Michigan, there for six years, basically grew up in Ohio, uh, Northwest Ohio, nothing to write home about. Um, my parents were divorced when I was eight. So basically after that, my dad was just non-existent in my life. You know, it turned into weekends and then it turned into once a month, once a year, you know, kind of thing. Um, he got remarried. Uh, so, and, uh, but later on in life, um, you know, kind of things, things are put into perspective, especially when his health started failing. Um, he smoked his whole life ever since he was a 13 year old paper boy in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and he ended up with COPD, go figure. Um, he also had chronic lymphocytic leukemia, but it also lay dormant. And like I shared with you, he passed away about two years ago. Uh, but yeah, like I said, things came full circle. Uh, we became closer and started talking, uh, which I was thankful for. We still didn't have, you know, the best relationship, but I was grateful for the relationship that we had, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, and he got to meet, uh, my daughter at the time. My, my brother took him up from North Carolina or excuse me, from Florida to North Carolina to basically live out his days up there. And, uh, we, we went as a family as a trip over there and he got to hold my daughter and she got to see who Poppy was and, and I still show her pictures and she says, yeah, I remember. And so, so once again, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that was his name, Poppy. Well, his that's what we called him. His nickname? That was no, my... his name was Robert Robert Frank Kessel. Uh, Poppy. And Frank was uh, my grandfather's name, so Frank Joseph. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, my childhood, there weren't a lot of memories with him. You know, I mean, I had one great memory of I was going over to my friend Ed Roll's house, going up the hill, and you have a German Shepherd, so you know this. Um, his family had a German shepherd named Bear, and it was named that for a reason. Right. Um, <laughs> Bear got loose one day, was tearing down the hill after me, and I just remember running and literally falling and into my dad's arms and him catching me and scooping me up, and Bear like kind of just missing me and grazing me with his teeth, and my dad just like rebuking the dog and you know sending him back home, and 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 I was just safe at that moment in my dad's arms. And so that was a fond memory. That's a pretty good memory. Yeah. I actually shared that at his uh, funeral for sure. And uh, another, another funny memory. Um, my brother and I would go visit him on the weekends, like I said. And, and at that time he, uh, he worked for Michelin, Michelin tires. Yeah. And he managed a huge warehouse full of tires. And I don't know what he was thinking, but he let, uh, uh, I don't know, what, an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old drive this little go-kart thing around the warehouse. Seems reasonable. Yeah. And um, long story short, I was driving it. Uh-huh. And, um, and it was really weird because the, the, the steering wheel was almost like um, 
the grip of like one of those things you move pallets with. Yeah. Am I making sense? <clears throat> Anyhow, uh, long story short, I crashed the thing into the power box and shut down the whole warehouse. Yeah. So that was, that was another good memory. There's really no other way that could have went. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have iPads back then to keep you busy. Like, hey, I'm working. Take this and go sit over there. Exactly. So uh, how old was he when he died? Uh, he was 74. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, as I was sharing with you earlier, you know, my, I've got a similar relationship with my father. You know, I don't remember hardly any of my childhood and it's just, it's just, it's all blocked out. And, um, one, one reoccurring memory I do have is, uh, of my mother and father outside arguing. Mm-hmm. And I was about six and I think my brother was a little bit older. I know he, he was probably six and I was seven and I was five or six, somewhere around there. And, uh, we were sitting in this musky smelling house, you know, just cause we didn't have a lot of money and, and old pier and beam houses here in Texas. And just, there's a certain smell. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking out these windows and he was out there in his truck and my mom was, you know, sitting there, bitching at him about something or asked him, I don't know what she was doing. And, um, and he just, I can kind of see it on his face. He's kind of giving her this smirk, like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want to do anyways. And and so he goes to leave and he was in this old red dually. And, um, I take off around the corner to chase after him, to get him to stop. And, you know, I'm running on the hardwood. It's like a scene out of a movie. Right. Yeah. So I'm running on hardwood floors and little fat feet, you know, barefooted. And I get around the hall to where I can see the front door is open. I'm about to run towards it. And something grabs my foot and I slam to the ground. Well, what it was is my mom had a history of just kind of like starting projects and not finishing them or, you know, mind you, we were in a rent house. So she decided to rip up the carpet. Mm. And got it all ripped up and, you know, there's hardwoods underneath, but left the tack strips. Mm. So I stepped right on a tack strip and like a bear trap, it just grabbed me, you know, stuck me in place. That'll leave a mark. So I'm sitting there stuck looking as my dad drives off. And, you know, you wouldn't think that. I never thought of that memory. Yeah. And then later just doing through some work and therapy and shit, it pops up. And I was like, well, that explains a lot. So the relationship was always like that with my dad. You know, he wasn't around. He would, uh, he just, he just was absent. You know, I would see his truck parked certain places whenever we were driving through town. And it was such an odd feeling. Like my dad is just right there, Mm -hmm. but we're going to keep going. And then I remember there was a stepdad that, uh, or a boyfriend of my mom's that called my dad one time and read him the right act about putting me in baseball and he shouldn't have to be the one to coach him. And then all of a sudden my dad was, you know, baseball dad. Mm. And, and then that, that was kind of an overcompensation and, and that just played out however it would. But so you fast forward all these years and our relationship is, is shit. I mean, it's, it's just built on, um, it's not, it's, there's nothing there. You know, he's such a resentful and, uh, uh, unhappy person and mentally unwell. So I severed ties. And like I shared with you, I was standing within four or five feet of him the other day. You know, I haven't spoken to him in years and he works at a, he works at home Depot 
and I have to go there a lot for work. So I know which one I can go to because I know which one he works at. And every once in a while, if I have to go to that one, I can look for his truck. And if it's there, I know how I can navigate through the store and not see him. And every once in a while, I'll peek around a corner just to look at him. Just to just. Did he know you were there? He didn't even. Wow. He didn't even. He didn't even see me. Yeah. You know, my daughter could walk up behind me and I could smell her, you know, Mm -hmm. not because she stinks, but just just because. It's that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And. um, Yeah. So I went to this other Home Depot that I didn't even think he'd be at. And as soon as I got out of the truck, I looked up and his truck was there and I thought, damn it. You know, I wasn't really ready for this today. So I had to go in there. So I went in there and I, I avoided where he works at the other one. Turns out he's in a new spot in this one. And I walk around a corner and I'm getting something and, and I check everywhere I go anyways. Like I'm always looking to see who's around me. And he walks out from behind this, uh, this, this, uh, cart full of stuff. And I didn't even see him. And so he was standing as, as close as we are now. And I just looked over at him and it was like, huh, that's an interesting feeling, you know, because I wanted to walk up to him and be like, man, I really could have used your help. Had he seen you, would he have said anything? If he would have made the connection, I don't know if he would have recognized me. Really? But if he would have made the connection, um, the last time we spoke was several years back and I approached him just because I felt led to. And you had hair then. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and I, I approached him just because I felt led to, like to go see him. So I went up to Home Depot and, yeah. and uh, ended up, he was eating lunch in his truck. And so I walked up to him and he mean mugged me the whole time I was there. And um, uh, I'm sorry about that. It was man. a pretty volatile, yeah. you know, it, I was kind of asking him like, how you doing? And, and he was so resentful, so, uh, um, so delusional about the the chain of events that happened throughout our childhood, things that just didn't even happen that he had convinced himself did so he so he could feel better mm. about where he's at in life. It was it was it was but I will say that I'm glad that happened because a lot of anger left and I left with a lot of, you know, pity for the guy. Yeah. Like, golly man. Not to not to uh hey, your life is this movie, but have you ever seen um I can only imagine? Huh. The the basic storyline of the father son relationship is kind of what you're explaining. Check it out for what it's worth. But man, your story reminds me of my mom's relationship with her dad. Yeah, abusive. Um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, she, she told me a story one time that uh, there were some kittens, and he didn't want them around, so he put them in a sack and drowned them. And uh, Long story short, he was, you know, had a mistress, you know, and then just was non-existent in her life. But I remember when I was a kid, there was one point where we went from Toledo to Cleveland, Ohio, and he, he was working at a hardware store. I guess that's what these dads do. Um, and, uh, we went and visited him and it was just this weird feeling. And he was, he was reciprocating you know my mom's reaching out but he was still distant and it was just odd but that was the only time i ever saw that grandfather and uh and that was my memory of him basically so well you know so like with my dad um he was uh 
he was raised by alcoholics and addicts. Mm. You know, his, uh, his dad was a emotionally abusive man. My grandfather, and I have a lot of memories of him actually. Um, but he, he basically drank himself to death, you know, um, uh, died of congestive heart failure and, and, and just was a very unhealthy man. And then my grandmother grew up on a plantation in Little Rock and was a really interesting woman, but she was, she was plagued by abuse her whole life. Like her mom left her. She was raised by, I believe in uh, a sister and, um, To be left unguarded like that, I can only imagine what kind of atrocities happened to her. By a man. Left unguarded by a man, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And um, um, being being raised in that environment in that time, you know, I can only imagine what might have happened to her mm-hmm. sexually. or Yeah, totally. Um, and she died. You know, uh, she died in a home with dementia and... Um, she was an addict and an alcoholic. And then my father, uh, just like as soon as he could just, well, his older brother left for the military, lied, lied about his age so he could leave sooner and left and never came back. He moved to Michigan. The only time I saw him was when my grandfather died in 87, March 3rd, 1987, he showed up out of nowhere for the funeral and to get his half of the guns and stuff Mm. and left. Right. And then never heard from him again. So that was my dad's older brother that probably leaves a mark, you know, he's, he's your best friend and you grow up in a house of crazy. And then all of a sudden he bolts, you know? Oh yeah. And then, so that's kind of the family dynamic with, with my family. You know, we just cut ties with people. Like if you don't, I mean, I can see it in both sides of the family and, um, it's really hard to stop those kind of behaviors. So, but at the same time, like I'm not going to allow anybody in my life that, that is toxic. Right. Or that makes me feel bad about myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. You got to draw the line. You know, we, I think a lot of us are told or led to believe that you have to have people in your life. And I, I call bullshit on that because if someone makes you feel bad about yourself, they got to go. If you, if you, you can try to correct the problem, try to tell them, Hey man, like when you do this, it makes me feel this way. And if they don't care or they can't change those behaviors, it's time for you to change the boundaries. You can forgive them for yourself. You don't have to forgive them for 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 them or th- think you're going to be best friends with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like I forget I can forgive people. Uh I'm pretty good at holding grudges too, but I can forgive people. That doesn't mean I want to be around them. There's a big difference. Right. Like I don't carry hate in my heart for my dad anymore. But I don't want to have lunch with him. I don't want to hear his shit. Yeah. Because I know what's going to come out of his mouth. And and it took me a long time to get that off my soul. I don't want to add back to it. I hear you. Back to your point of um being unguarded by by a father, so to speak. I mean, I can I can relate to that. I mean, that's basically how I grew up. That's how my mom grew up. Sure. I mean, I don't know if I inherited any of that from her. You know, she raised us. She raised my brother and I. And we all, man, we all reacted to the divorce in different ways. Yeah. You know, I I was a fat kid. Were you? I, I was I was like two hundred pounds in seventh grade. You know, so I ate. My brother got mad. He was, he had issues with anger. I love him now. He's, he's, uh, he's fully matured. He's a great man, man of integrity, great family. 
I'm just saying this probably because I'll listen to this. Um, but, um, you know, and my mom, you know, she reacted in, in other ways as well. Um, but I mean, it's, it's such an impact and it, and come full circle now, me being a father to my two and a half year old daughter and three month old son, you know, I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of pressure there just for the sake of the history that I experienced, but there's also, um, just this fresh new feeling of, of grace and possibility. Uh, and yeah, man. Um, so you know, I'm not, I'm not plagued by that. I'm, I'm motivated by it, you know? Sure. So, uh, tell me about your kids. Uh, Ava, man, she is a piece of work. She's a firecracker. Um, she's two and a half. Uh, what does she like to do? She, she loves to mess with our dogs. Um, uh, she loves her brother, her new little brother, who's three months old. Uh, and case in point, this is one of the reasons why, you know, we're talking because I wanted to kind of use this podcast as a platform to share, uh, about struggles that, that we have as a family with kids having a chronic disease, cystic fibrosis, AKA CF. I'm sure y'all have probably heard it before, but don't know what it is. Um, it's a pulmonary and digestive disease. So obviously it affects the lungs. And it affects the pancreas. Uh-huh. Your pancreas is insufficient to assimilate fats and proteins like we do. So sure. before every single meal, both of them have to take enzymes to help them digest, g- gain that stuff and digest it well. Um, in addition to, and this is an everyday thing, every day, multiple times a day. Breathing treatments. Hudson hasn't done them yet because he's only three months old. But Ava does this physio vest, which uh, you put on her and it fills up with air and it shakes her. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, back to the pulmonary aspect of it. You know, that breaks up the mucus in her lungs because people with CF have a thicker mucus than we do. It sticks to their lungs. It inhibits their lung function, their oxygen level, as well as it, it promotes more bacteria growth because of that amount of mucus, that viscosity of mucus. How many times can I say mucus? Um, (laughs) And uh, so that helps break that up, that physio vest, as well as breathing treatments that we do through the day, whether it be with an inhaler or an actual, um, oh gosh, what's that little breathing treatment machine? Nebulizer. Um, Nebulizer. Yeah. Sounds like something that an alien. Yeah, or Star Trek. Would shoot you with. But, um, but yeah, but man, she is a, she is a trooper. I mean, that's her normal, you know? She doesn't complain, doesn't know anything different. No, I mean, she gets to watch her tablet when she does her treatments. So that's nice. She's got that going for her, but, but she, she is a trooper. Um, like I said, that's, that's her normal. Um, and that will be Hudson's normal and, um, they'll be able to support each other, you know, with that in life, um, with, these genetic uh, codes that my wife and I carry, these CF genes, which we had no idea that either one of us carried them. Right. No family history whatsoever. And you both have them. Yeah, just a random gene. And She's got the most common gene. I've got one of the most rare. So they're, um, it's like one in 2,500 people are born with it, right? I think that sounds about right. I think it might even be more rare than that, but yeah. And the... Um, uh, I was reading that the that 
the cases with parents with both, both having that, that gene is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. It's even more rare and it's hereditary. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's in your genetics. Yep. It's not because you ate too many ho-hos or. Right. And it was just kind of the perfect storm of us coming together. And, you know, with those genes, our kids being born, they have a 25% chance of having CF. Yeah. So when Jacqueline was pregnant with Ava, you know, the nine or six month mark, you know, blood tests. Oh, did you know you carried CF gene? No, I didn't know that. Ryan better get tested too. Oh, he does too. What? What does that mean? It means this, you know? So we were like, okay, whatever. We'll, we'll cross that bridge. You know, we're trusting the Lord either way. We'll cross that bridge when, sure. when, when Ava comes out. And um, honestly, that, that was something that we wrestled with, with having the second child. Really? Yeah. I mean, because it was like, man, not that we don't want another child because we do, but it's heavy. Gosh, what if he has it? You know, what's that going to mean for his life? You know? Well, let me, let me ask you real quick. Cause I mean, we jumped to the second child. So one thing I'm curious about is, is how, how did, um, how did you deal with when you, when you found out that your kid was going to have that, when you found out that, uh, that Ava was going to have it. Well, at first, you know, it was like, what the heck is CF, you know? And then you, you go through, you know, learning about it and ultimately realizing, okay, it's manageable. But at first it was like, gosh, a kid born in 2000, you know, 16, 2018 has a life expectancy into their mid forties. Yeah. Gosh, that'll wreck you. That's, um, you know, that's pretty rough. Yeah. I remember calling my brother and telling him that and just like breaking down, you know. And uh, but once again, you know, I mean, uh, children are a gift from God. And uh, he, he gave us Ava and Hudson and uh, he's entrusted them to us. And uh, so so we just rest in that fact and, and have peace from that. So so that um, how did that affect your faith? Did it? Because I know you're a pretty strong man of faith, or yeah, pretty, yeah. So, uh, did it strengthen? Did it weaken in that moment? Did you question it? There were hills and valleys. I never questioned questioned it because, you know, I'm rooted in it. That's who I am. You know, um, when you know something beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's just you. It is what it is. But anyhow, um, man, there were, there were times I wrestled with God, you know, and I was like, really? I mean, can we just have another kid and, and not have CF, you know? Sure. So, um, but once again, like I said, you know, we've got that peace uh, and they can support each other. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that, that's making us stronger, too. Because we, we've got extra work to do in addition to the daily, you know, 10 million things a, a normal parent has to do. So, so yeah. So what are some of those struggles? I mean, I understand that like the kids have like a, a much thicker mucus and, mm -hmm. and so are, uh, there's a lot of wheezing and phlegm and things like that. And I'm sure they're coughing and clearing their throats. Yeah, a and, lot of coughing. And, um. Uh, so is it just like living with an 80-year-old man, or is it... No, no. I mean, early on, and thankfully, both of our kids have been 
very healthy. And like I said, they're, they're more and more um, aggressive with, with the maintenance and starting all these treatments earlier and earlier. Um, so it helps. Um, so, I mean, we, we just keep up on it. Um, yeah. In addition to that, there was um, Ava had a, a G-tube put in her stomach, a gastronomy tube, a feeding tube, uh, because she was just kind of under where she needed to be weight-wise. Um, and that's been... Whew, that's been a hurdle too, because we call it Tubi. She calls it Tubi. How's Tubi? Good. Um, but man, um, you know, with that, you know, Jacqueline was pregnant. So, I mean, we were dealing with that and, and then we had our son. So we, that the whole G tube feeding thing kind of got put on a back burner because mm-hmm. Ava was not, not having it. You know, she would wrestle you. She's a little two year old, but she's strong. And she would wrestle you and, and, and not let you touch it. And she still does that. So we're, we're still trying to normalize it. And it almost makes us feel like, oh, crap, we're bad parents. We're not feeding her through a tube. She's still doing well. She's gaining weight. Uh, but, but she could use it more. I mean, this is something that you have to hook up to the machine. That's a pump and you set the timer at night and put a new hose in it every night and then stick it into her stomach and try not to wake her up. So it's, it is a challenge and hopefully Hudson won't need one. I mean, his trajectory, he's already, he's kind of like all boy, you know, he's gaining weight and just going strong. And so, so hopefully he won't need one. So they have a, they have a hard time absorbing nutrition out of food mm-hmm. and then also digesting it. Right. So, um, I have a friend that works at cooks and she specializes in genetic disorders like that. And her husband started a, a charitable fund because, you know, a lot of kids that, that can't absorb the nutrition have to, their food is medicine. You know, I mean, they have to eat special synthetic food that, that, that is specifically designed for their disorder. So they don't starve to death. Yeah. And, um, they had to start this fund because most insurance companies won't cover the food because it's, it's, they, they don't think it's, they don't consider it to be medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could understand how that would be, it would be hard to have, I'm not saying that y'all have to give her that kind of food, but, um, I could see the challenges of not being able just to feed your kid just whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you have to be super careful what you feed them, right? Not necessarily. Okay. That's the good thing about CF. And when Ava's 18 years old, you know, she won't have a problem with the freshman 15. She can have two bacon double cheeseburgers and chocolate shakes. And just because her body doesn't absorb that as much, she still will absorb it with her enzymes, but she'll never, you know, have an issue of gaining weight excessively. So that's a blessing and a curse. You know, obviously we want to feed her healthy foods and we, I mean, she's a two year old for crying out loud. So we give her anything and anything that she wants to eat within reason. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to go back to what you just shared though, um, through this feeding tube, we we give her this, um, man, what's it called? Uh, peptide based protein drink called Kate's farms. Okay. And case in point, it's not covered through insurance. We have my wife, bless her heart, she works her butt off in um, securing these grants for us, for people, for parents, families with uh, children that have CF. So we have a couple different grants that we take advantage of, thank the Lord. 
um, because it's it's not cheap. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just just something like that too. What is the um, just if you don't mind sharing, what's the that's why I'm here. Yeah. What's the average? What What does that cost you a month? Well, I'd have to ask her. It's It's not cheap. Um, like I said, I mean, related but not, you know, our son, both both of our kids, and I'm kind of changing gears here, but still um, staying in the park of uh, expenses, uh, both of our kids, when they were born, were in the NICU. Okay. Both having meconium issues which meconium is baby poop, uh-huh. um, and having blockage in their colon. Oh. So Hudson had to have about six or eight enemas, and I think Ava had about three. And thank God it finally cleared, and both of them were right at the cusp of having surgery to remove that for them to you know, be, be cleared and go. Yeah. So they're chronically constipated. When they were born. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, they're, they're, they're clear now. Um, and that, that's a telltale sign of a CF kid. Um, but once again, my point being, um, Hudson was in the NICU. He was actually at Cook's, even though we go to the CF clinic at Dallas Children's because Cook's has a bed that mama could sleep in right next to him for 10 days. Bless her heart for doing that too. Um, you know, NICU bill, uh, 14 grand, you know, I mean, so, and that's cheap. Yeah. If you think about a hospital bill. So, so yeah, I mean, all, all that, all that stuff, whether it's hospital or just kind of, um, extraneous or supplemental, if you want to call it, it adds up. It adds up for sure. Who was y'all's, uh, who was your, uh, doctor? Dr. Hamilton. I want to say she was, she was GI in the NICU. There were, there were a couple of them that rounded. There was an older guy too. My wife would remember. I remember the guy at Baylor, but anywho, but yeah, we'll have to figure that out. So whenever you found this out, I'm sure they didn't just hand you a pamphlet like I'm like they probably did back in the eighties and said, here, figure it out. I mean, How'd they help you transition into being able to take care of your kid? Well, back to uh, mentioning Dallas Children's. I mean, Will, as their as their babies, you go there once a month, and uh, you go in for uh, a clinic appointment. And there's different uh, specialists that will round. That's the beauty of Dallas Children's. You're there for three or four hours, which is a challenge with little kids. But um, they come in. You know, you see a. a dietitian you see gi you, you see you see everything so they not only they educate you but and they tell you within the metrics that your kid has to be in so on and so forth and um i mean they're they're great so i mean there's there's a lot of education and ongoing education that that happens but at first you know our ob just kind of gave us this news and and said hey this is what's going on. So we, we, we kind of semi-researched it sure. and, uh, and then, you know, started getting into it and getting the support from Dallas Children's after Ava was born. Okay. And so then, then kid number two comes around um, in Hudson. So but did y'all, did y'all plan Hudson? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. And so y'all just thought about it, prayed about it, waited, and then decided we're going to go for it. Right. And thankfully it happened like that. Happened quick. <laughs> yeah. Pulled the goalie and everything was good. Yep. So are you going to have any more kids? No. No more. Time to we get were the snip. T- yep. We were talking about that earlier. Yep. I'll be making the urologist appointment soon. Have All you- the deductibles met this year with the NICU bills. So yeah, getting... I might even get a couple moles removed off my back. Who knows? Man, just get it. Yeah. While you're all there. Yeah. Just if you could just get everything <laughs> below the belt. There you go. So the uh, uh, you know I I held off for a while getting it. And I, I wanted to get it um, because you know I I uh, I struggled with my Marty would be um, an amazing mother. She is, she's an amazing, Amen to ste- that. she's an amazing stepmother and aunt and sister. And, but she just, everything about her from the way she's built to the way she acts. I mean, she's just maternal. Um, but we both just like, I, I was kind of hesitant because I didn't want to have another child. The thought of having, um, a child here full time and then Abby somewhere else part time, just really, I, mm. could, I couldn't get over that. I never thought of that dynamic before. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, so we, we thought about it and we, we put a lot of time into it and, you know, at that time prayed about it and just, it just kind of went through that whole process. And, and, uh, we were, we were decided like, we're going to get it or I'm going to get it. And because, you know, Marty didn't want to be on birth control anymore because of what that does to, mm-hmm. to the body. I mean, it's just kind of nasty stuff. Um, and, and then it just kind of dawned on me that I, I thought, man, I'm a, I'd like to have a son. Not that I get to choose, but, and we so started the whole process over and it's like, well, let's give it some more time. And then finally we decided to, to do it. And it was, um, the procedure was completely painless. Like I went in and I went in at like two o'clock. He gave me a sedative. So like a Valium when I got there and, um, got called back there and prepped. And so basically, well, I was already prepped. They asked you to, you know, tidy up and, uh, you just get on, you just lay back and you got your feet up on the stirrup, like at an OB's office. And, and Marty was in the room. So she was sitting about as far away as we are, are, and, uh, was watching. Nice. And they just, they shot a little numb, little numbing in your, mm-hmm. in your sack. And, and, I mean, it was. It, didn't, it felt like somebody just plucked a hair out. It didn't even. Okay, good. It didn't even it's hurt. I'm gonna walk you through it. We'll yeah. walk you through it. And we look in your eyes while I'm telling you the story too. Maybe we can Facetime yeah. when I'm getting it done. Like, You're doing good, buddy. Breathe. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, man, he just, he just. So they put a little incision. He takes this little crochet hook looking thing in there, and he pulls out your vas deferens tube. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. And they cut it. They solder it and then they staple it. That's st- the puff of smoke that I heard about. Yeah. Okay. And then they, yeah, it wasn't, that's not your dignity, like going up yeah, in smoke, yeah. like your manhood, like <laughs> your soul just escaped. Yeah. So <laughs> that's your legacy just poof, gone. So, um, and then they put it back in there and sew it up. And he said, um, and they were really, they, they, they really made the point to say, don't, don't assume that it's done. Right. That's what I hear. Like he said, you need to clear about 25 more, uh, ejaculates before you can, you can, and then you need to come back and get tested 
to make sure your sperm That's count is hear. zero before you, you start, you start again. And, uh, I was like, I'll get it done in a day. <laughs> and he just laughed and I was like, okay, challenge accepted. It would be more like five days for me. So, I'm a little older than you. Well, but I also, um, I knew that I was going to have the next day off cause I took <laughs> one day off work. And so we, and he said, you can't lift anything heavy. You can't do anything cause you'll, you'll rupture it. And, and I've heard stories of guys sacks just filling with blood, like, mm. you know, no thanks. So be mindful of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we went Bag of peas, right? We went to dinner Throws that night peas. and just everything was fine. And, uh, the next day, man, I was able to get one and that was it. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, when it was about to go off, I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> it's like, it's like pushing a, you know, like when you made a, a, a freaking cart or something to roll down a giant hill when you're a kid and you push it right to the edge. And at that last second, it's like, <laughs> I don't think this was a good idea. <laughs> and uh, I remember like, right as I was about to crest, I, um, I remember just kind of like clutching, like waiting for it. Like this is going like, to, I don't know, like it was going to come out like fire and freaking razor blades, <laughs> but they were so purple Oh. For a day or two, you don't even want to look at them because yeah. you, you're so ashamed of what you did to them. You're like, I'm sorry, buddy. Mm. And other than that, it's pain. but you're good now. It's pain. Oh, dude, yeah. it's the difference between riding in a car seat and skydiving. Yeah, great analogy. That's the way I like because it's it's just like you're flying like a bird, man. Mm-hmm. There's no problem, no issues. It's amazing. Yeah. So if you haven't gotten it done and you're thinking about it, oh, I will. I will. But back to the whole uh, purple ball thing. Yeah. Um, we can talk more about that. That, balls. that, that reminds me uh, when I had my accident, um, gosh, 24 years ago, what believe you, it or not. What'd you do? Jump under a forklift or a. Yeah, I was or? working at a, a coal mine outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, I was uh, operating this front end loader that was old and decrepit, and the brakes supposedly got fixed the week before. Sure. And uh, so I get on this thing and pick up a pallet of something, head down a hill to the face of the mine to deliver it down there so they can have supplies and whatnot. But I get on it, get down the hill, start to apply the brakes, nothing. And I mean, it happened like that. Rolled into a ditch, turned over. Um, Man, another six inches, my head would have been crushed. But I had internal injuries, my, my hip socket, uh, or my femur went up through my hip socket. It broke my pelvis in two different spots. Got me to stop dipping. I had dipped previously seven years before that, 13 to 20. Yeah. I remember that story. Yeah, and uh, never wanted one afterwards. Because you swallowed it, right? No, I didn't swallow it, but I just, that was the first thing. Uh, I wanted to get it out of my mouth. Okay, Ugh. I got you. And, and I remember being in the ICU and my brother cracking a tin of dip and just being like, oh. Anyhow, um, so that was a positive of it. Uh, but where was I going with that? Oh, purple balls. Um, yeah, after that, healing up, obviously. Yeah, imagine a, a purple grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, got past it. And uh, yeah, now I'm good. And four years earlier, got a hip replacement down the line. And uh, I'm feeling good. You got a metal hip? Uh, titanium. How's that feel? Uh, it took about two years to feel normal again. And that, and that's about right. You know, it's got to kind of get into place and your body's got to acclimate to it. And 
all that stuff and kind of heal up, you know, yeah. the, the muscle and nerve tissue that they cut into and stuff. So, but it feels, feels great now. Yeah. No issues. And you got good range of motion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, other than bad knees being 44 years old, you know, just can't really run anymore. And, but I'm good. So you, um, you started talking about your balls, <laughs> your giant purple grapefruit balls. <laughs> and I drifted off into a fantasy land. You brought it up. Of us like high-fiving, <laughs> like running up and chest bumping and high-fiving and both of our big purple balls swinging together <laughs> oh, and Lord. slapping against each other and then exploding <laughs> oh, into man. just a kaleidoscope of <laughs> glitter and dead semen and oh gosh it was it was magical yeah so that's so now let's talk i'm not more, sure let, if i approve this message let's talk more about jesus yeah <laughs> so um all right so y- you were a minister right yeah yeah i um that's that's what really brought me to texas believe it or not um and i know you're getting bits and pieces in my story uh, but I was in Florida, um, and once again, like I had my my backdrop of um, interior design degree. I was working in an architectural firm at the time in 2008. What furniture store did you work at? Oh, this was in Nashville. It was it was called Meridian, hmm. but it was a really cool place. It was in an old grocery store, and so it had this vibey place, you know. I was a manager at Pottery Barn for a little okay. while. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, briefly. It 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 was kind of like a um. A grassroots pottery barn, if uh-huh. you can think of that, like sure. a real pottery barn. No, no offense. Oh, no, no, yeah, that was twenty years um, ago. Yeah, so twenty anyhow, years ago. Can yeah, you, you I make know, statements man. like that? Like that was twenty years. I know ago. I do, and like I said, I had my accident twenty-four years ago. But anywho, um, so yeah, two thousand eight at the time, and uh, that's when everything hit the fan. You know, economy, mm-hmm. especially building industry. Yeah, and so I lost my job and. Just at the time, I was really digging into, um, for lack of better terms, Christian community and seeing what that really was, apart from just going to church on Sunday. And man, my just appetite was growing for that. And so I started kind of like testing and kind of counseling and, and researching and looking into well, what, what would this look like if I went into vocational ministry, you know? Um, you know, so... Checked out schools, seminaries, long story short, Fort Worth, Southwestern Seminary. A lot of people that I talked to went here, came here, checked it out. Hey, this is a cool place. Yeah, I'll move to Texas. Um, there's kind of a backstory to that. I was dating a girl at the time, and uh, things, gosh, never really clicked for us. We talked about getting married. I had a ring. She never knew about it. Hopefully, she doesn't listen to this. I Uh-oh. doubt she will. Um just her, I was never good enough for her family. Um, long story short, I sold that ring and it got me to Texas. Um, so yeah, I moved to Texas in 2010, go to seminary. I met you shortly after that, kind of got into the, you know, started working at Lululemon, uh, met Marty, your beautiful wife, and uh, met you guys and got hooked up in that community. And uh, so yeah, that, that was my... Uh, journey to get to Texas into ministry. Shortly after that, I got uh, a job out in Allen. 
So it was like, boom, overnight. Hey, move to McKinney, start working at this church in Allen. Um, six and a half years later, you know, I'm, um, I'm still working there doing singles ministry. Uh, I launch our church's Celebrate Recovery. I know you have some recovery history with AA. Um, and, um, you know, kind of work through that. And it just kind of runs its season, its course, you know. And I told you earlier, I didn't get into ministry to get rich. Um, or get a golf stream. Uh, some people do, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's another Oof. another another that's... conversation. Um, so, with a growing family, right after I started working at the church, um, met my beautiful wife Jacqueline on Match.com, and um, man, we had our first date on November twenty eighth, two thousand eleven. We were uh, engaged on January 25th, 2012, and married on May the 4th, 2012. May the 4th be with you. We didn't get married for that reason, but... Um, no theme Star wedding? Wars, no. No theme wedding? No, no. She didn't dress up as... Princess Leia, no, no. Um, but um, it's a good way to remember it. Uh, so anyhow, yeah, that was Fast and Furious. Um, this May will be seven years. Yeah, it wow. goes by quick. I mean, Whew. you married... Uh, Marty and I, and that was almost yeah. five years ago. Yeah, I know. We were just talking about that. I came over here talking in your kitchen. I was like, man, I haven't seen you in person in five years. Yeah, but I, that was really cool. I appreciate you all letting me officiate your wedding. It was a beautiful day. I was glad to have you a party. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, are, are you and Jacqueline the same age? No. Thanks for bringing that up. No, I'm joking. Um, That's awkward. Yeah. It wasn't until you said I'm that. 44, even though I don't look like it. Um, you do look young for your age. She is 31. Okay. It's never been an issue. You know, the age gap, what is that, 13 years? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, never been an issue, other than a few generational things. I'll make jokes about TV shows that she's never seen or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, never an issue with parents or anything. Um, I guess I'm immature. Okay. <laughs> well, um, so y'all take on a big, I mean, that's a, that's a heavy load for a, so she would have been what, 28 at the time that she had, uh, Ava? 28, 29. Yeah. That's, that's some heavy shit for a 28 yeah. year old to take on. Right. Um, thank God y'all both had the gene so you couldn't blame each other. Exactly. Like, well, yours is more rare. Yeah. But yours is more messed up. Exactly. Yeah. So did y'all, did you see any, any strain on y'all's relationship going through this? That's a good question. I think every couple that has a kid and experiences that new, you know, learning curve will have highs and lows, you know? I disagree. I uh, think it's always easy. Of, get, yeah, <laughs> of getting back into your relationship. And not only physically, but emotionally, you know, because you're now distracted in a good way emotionally, connecting with your your newborn. Um, but I would say it was harder. It was harder on the second time. Yeah. And uh, with Hudson, not only during the pregnancy, um, and I say this respectfully, with with her hormones and emotions, and me not being um, sensitive enough to that. I mean, you probably remember me reaching out in the Circle Dads community a couple of times and, and saying, hey, guys, you know, I need support, help, prayer, advice. You know, this is what's going on. Did um, you get it? 
Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Definitely. And, um, I mean, that's why I'm here taking advantage of this community. Um, and then after the fact of not only having a two year old, but having a newborn and, and then dealing with all that, cause it's just exponential, you know, now you're juggling all these things. And so, yeah, there's definitely a strain for sure, man. Um, but that's something that, that we just have to be aware of and address and communicate and, and just be intentional and talk about it. I, it just starts with that. Just talking about it. Communication. You know? Yeah. Because like if you, um, with any relationship, you know, that I've seen. So my experience, I'll talk from my experience because I'm not a therapist, you know, but my experience has been when I don't communicate with my wife and that starts with anything like she'll say something or do something. And I, and I, and instead of just kind of sitting there like, I don't like that, or that makes me feel this way, or, you know, that pisses me off and I don't know why. And sitting there and kind of like developing a grudge or resentment, I have to like, it is my responsibility and every man's responsibility to, to moderate and put words with and a title on your feelings. That's not all of them. I'm not saying every time you, you feel something, you're like, oh, I need to write a poem about this shit. I just mean that like, if you're feeling something inside of you that's affecting you and it's okay to be affected, that you you figure out what it is. You do just a little bit of like introspection, just a little bit of, 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 of inventory on it and, and think that makes me uncomfortable. If you can even just say, Hey, that makes me uncomfortable or that makes me feel bad. You don't have to say, Hey, that gives me, you know, a shame response because my dad used to do that. And because of this and generate whatever, you don't have to go that. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to know that shit. Like you just, Hey babe, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I don't know why. Can we talk about that? And it might be anything like you don't like the way that she runs to the child, and or, but she never runs to you like that. Or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and then those resentments start building, and then you start resenting the kid, and then you start resenting her, and they can pick up on that stuff, even though you don't even know what's going on. And I've had those experiences, you know. Um, I've had to stop and 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 kind of check in with myself because we're responsible for ourselves first. Right. You know, you put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help the people next to you. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you don't know how to moderate and label what's going on inside of you, even on the most, even in the most simple way, then you're going to have a hell of a time communicating with your spouse, with your friends, with your children, with any of that, you know, and, and, and that makes it really hard to navigate through life in any kind of complex relationship in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, so like I've had to really, uh, I've had to really work on that, figure out what makes me tick, you know, I mean, and, um, I've never had the experience of, of having two kids that were, I guess, special needs. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you could say that. So that's a lot of attention that's required from the parents. That's a lot of energy that needs to run downhill. Right. Which there's, it all needs to run downhill anyways. Amen. But it still needs to move a little laterally too, mm-hmm. like to the to your partner. Thankfully, we haven't had any um, hurdles in in those type of nuances of being jealous of each other over one of the kids, um, or jealous of the kids. Yeah, um, you know, and something that um, Doctor Brian said on a couple podcasts ago, he made the uh, analogy of. Um, 
one of his babies just being like a bag of sand when yeah. they're three weeks old. Right. And and I I was listening to it. I was like, yes, yes. Okay, now I don't feel so heartless. You yes, know? exactly. But 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 now Hudson's like his his features are coming out. He's looking at me in the eyes. He's trying to communicate, and you, you know he's not a bag of sand anymore. You know, and that was yeah. the second kid, and and I guess that's a common thing. And I needed to hear that. You know, I was like, that's that's good stuff, man. Um, but yeah, it was so much easier with with Ava the first time around, and and honestly, Hudson being a being a boy, being a man. You would think he would be less of a baby. Oh my gosh, the kid whines and grunts and cries. Yeah, he's a baby, but Ava he's like was three so months easy. old, right? No, but still, Jeez, Dick, <laughs> <laughs> quit bitching, do some push-ups. <laughs> but Ava was so easy compared to him, right? But I mean, we love them both, nonetheless. I mean, everybody. I mean, they all have their different personalities. So, like, I, I see, uh, um, you know, in Marty's family, they all have a ton of kids. You know, one brother has five, and then there's three, and then another one has three, I think. And I mean, there's tons of them. Ooh. And kids just show up. Like, you go to go to birthday parties, there's like new babies there. Like, well, damn. I yeah. Know. So I try to keep track. But um, I spend the most time with, uh, with uh, her sister, Suzanne, and Jimmy and their kids. And it's interesting to see all three of the different personalities, you know, and how different each kid is. So I grew up with an older brother and then, you know, Abby's an only child and Abby's got this big, vibrant personality and a lot of energy and just wild. Um, and then to see those other kids and how each one has their own individual personality and thank goodness you don't want a bunch of like little robots running right. around, but it's interesting. I mean, so I, I guess just to be, redu- be redundant, but yeah, I mean, I can see how your kids, uh would have completely different personalities, even as their babies. So, you know, as, as, as you're working on that dynamic and you're, and you're, um, you know, working on communicating with your wife and they have the different personalities and all that. And so you're, you just kind of learning to trans just navigate those, those waters. And this is my life. And this is, this is our normal. Doesn't matter what anybody else has as normal. This is our normal and it's filled with love and, and support. And, and this is what we're doing. I would think that, um, I, I mean, I don't, um, I don't walk around daily knowing that I'm going to outlive my daughter. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. Um, and gosh, this year, um, and, and I still don't know if that, if that's going to be the case. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And, and I know you say that respectfully. Um, and, and I appreciate you bringing that up and us really talking about it, you know, and just to kind of put it in a context, context. Oh, Wow. Talk, is he thinking about balls right. again? Uh, context. Uh, this year has been big. You know, I made a transition out of ministry into physician recruiting, the same field that my wife is in, different company. Um, just to, you know, like I said, I didn't get into ministry to get rich. Um, just to provide a little bit better for our family, our growing family, as well as, you know, those medical bills. Anyhow, um, so that was a challenge in itself. Not only just having another kid, but learning this new industry and, getting up two times in the middle of the night, blah, 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 blah. And then coming to grips again with a child with a chronic disease and this possibility of him or her, you know, um, living into their mid forties. But to speak to that, I mean, there's people with CF right now that are 50. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that blows that out of the water, you know, but it's a good possibility that they'll have to have a lung transplant down the line Yeah. or maybe a second lung transplant. And there's a lot of variables and unexpected things that are kind of scary. Um, like, will your body reject those lungs? Yeah. You know, so there's all those things and it goes back to, you know, just being girded in that faith that we talked about, man. And, uh, just having the peace that surpasses all understanding that, that, that I get from, from God, that we get from God, my wife and I, um, that, that help us get through that for sure. So you, so basically, I mean, you, you find all your faith, you find all your strength in your faith. You lean on that heavily. You lean on each other. Right. Each other as well. You didn't have a very strong relationship with your dad, so there wasn't a whole lot of guidance there. And he said to you, um, I'm not the type to, re- to write letters. Mm, right. And you have a letter that I you do. found. I do. Which is interesting that he used that statement and I find this letter. Yeah. So you and, want to talk about And that? I'll go back and talk about that, too. We were talking about this in your kitchen earlier. Um, it'll be two years this November that my, my dad passed. And, you know, after your, your parents pass, you kind of go through their things and clean stuff up and all that. But I came across uh, some personal facts. And one of them was this, this letter written on this old typewriter paper. I guess it's carbon paper. I guess there are two sheets and there was like a carbon paper underneath and you take it off. So it wasn't even like a typewriter that had a ribbon on it. This is like old school. This was probably written in 1958 or something. Okay. And I pull it out. It's a three-page letter, and it's titled, uh, and it's kind of like all marred and, and, and folded up. Um, so the middle of it's kind of folded over uh, like an old Mad Magazine where you fold it together and you see, oh, the, yeah, you yeah, see yeah, the thing. Yeah, I remember those. So, so the, it, it's titled A Father's Day Letter, but it's folded over where it says A Father's Day Letter. And I'm thinking, what's a day letter? Is that something they wrote in the 50s or something? That's cool. And then I kind of, oh, a Father's Day letter. Duh. But it's different in the aspect of this is a letter written from my grandfather to my dad, kind of reciprocating that honor and imparting these 13 points or, or, or nuggets of wisdom to him from what he learned. Um, and man, this thing is just gold to me. Um, and, and I'm eventually going to get it framed. Um, and, and, you know, this is something that I'll pass on to my son, which is pretty amazing. Um, I'd love to read the whole thing, but I don't think we have time, but, um, I'll just read a couple, couple blurbs. Um, one beating appreciate the real meaning of integrity, uprightness of character and innate honesty. Apply that to everything in life, to your schoolwork, your play on the athletic field, your life at home with the family. Make up your mind early in life always to look everyone in the eye with the full knowledge that no one can challenge your integrity. Second point. Actually, this is like the seventh point. Watch your posture. Hold yourself erect and keep your head high. It gives your character and self-confidence as very few other things do. You cannot have pride in yourself if you are stooped over and hanging your head. And he kind of starts us off by saying, one serious thought I want to emphasize first is that your life will be what you yourself make it. As your father, I can point out mistakes I've made in my own life, but you will have to plot your own course. However, I will outline briefly several things which have impressed me from experience 
as being highly significant. And then kind of wrapping up, uh, I'll read one more thing and then kind of how he uh, ties it up, which is pretty awesome. He, he talks about uh, faith, as we have been talking about. Be sure to give first place in your life to the spiritual side of your nature. Have an abiding faith in God. If you ever have any doubt, just go out on a starry night and take a long look at the heavens. No one but God could ever conceive the firmament in infinite space. As a guide in life, you cannot do better than live by the golden rule. Always set forth in the Sermon on the Mount. Keep a copy of it beside you always and reread it at least once a month. That's so old school. I love it. There's, there's so many more points, but he wraps it up like this saying, I have written this only after searching and studying my own life and the lives of some intimate friends in the cherished hope that it may help you, if only a little, to plot a successful course in your life. With a great deal of love and affection, I am devotedly your father. Pretty amazing. Signed, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Joseph Kessel. That is phenomenal. I know, man. I love it. And, and to have, you know, with, with all the, you know, everybody's got their, their, their motivational posters they, and the memes and all this stuff. And it's all rooted in the same thing. But, but to hear that coming from your own blood. Well, from, the, from, from that, that far away, mm-hmm. think of how different his life was. Of, of the hardships and the lack of comfort and, and you know, just the technology and, and just the way things were at that point. And he saw, and to see the things that he saw, you know, wars and, and, and genocide and, and just, uh, a lot of atrocities, you know, uh, probably the great depression and, mm-hmm. and, and to still have that outlook on life and to have that thoughtfulness to leave something like that for your son. Right. Um, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm that. grateful, man. There's one thing that, and this is not even remotely close to, to that, but one thing I started doing, uh, a couple of years ago is, you know, everybody says, well, well, you, not everybody. Um, I need to never use, they that. say, I, I need to never use definites again. <laughs> um, you, you hear stories of like, I started this journal when my daughter was born or I started this. And, and then when they're 18, it's like, wow, you're such an amazing parent. Cause you put all this stuff together. Well, you know, I, I, I didn't do that. And so what I did is, uh, several years ago, I, I made an email address for Abby that she doesn't know about. And, you know, family knows about it. And, and, um, but I'm really the only one that sends anything to it. Mm. And so I send pictures and texts and messages and like um, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, just like, hey, kid, today you were, um, you know, we were doing this and, and uh, you got a little pissed off at me. And, and I knew we just didn't like you, you, we just didn't understand each other. But I want you to know that I love you. Right. And this is what I was trying to trying to say, and this isn't so like I can get the last word, like right. I told you so, um, from the grave. Yeah. Well, the hope <laughs> is that, you know, for her 18th birthday, she's just going to get the password. Yeah. And That's then, cool. and then I'll let her go off and 
Cause I don't want her to read it or see these things until I know that she's emotionally ready mm-hmm. to appreciate them. And, and it's, it's lame in the, I feel a little lame because it's, it's digital and it's cyber and, it, and it's not as thoughtful as like writing it out and, and doing all those things. But it's, it's a way for me to journal mm-hmm. just her because I, I don't sit down every night and journal religiously. I, I just, I don't have that kind of routine. And this is a way for me. It's always with me. I've got my phone and I can send emails to her, even if I'm thinking about her, you know, just, Hey, I was sitting here thinking about how proud I am of you or, uh, you know, your laugh is echoing through my mind mm. from when we were out riding four wheelers, just stuff like yeah. that. And I think that anything we do to leave a legacy for our children, the legacy is not our wealth and your dad was amazing and, and, you know, look at the statue of him or this library or whatever. It's, it's how loved they felt, you know, it's, it's when you bring up the name of your father, like I know my dad's legacy, right? And, uh, my daughter, we were having a conversation the other day. She was like, I really wish you wouldn't have gotten a vasectomy. Hmm. I re- and I said, and she said, I wouldn't have felt. Yeah, I didn't think about that. How did it affect her? Well, yeah. she really wanted a brother or a yeah. sister. And, um, I said, I know, and I'm sorry you feel that way, but, um, it just wasn't, just wasn't what I was going to do, you know? And, um, can always reverse it. I could. And she, <laughs> and she said, uh, you know, I would have been cool with us being in different houses and it wouldn't have been an issue. And, and, um, she said, and, and don't you want your name to carry on? And, I didn't, I, well, no, I thought about that. Yeah. I've thought about that before. And my response to her was, no, I don't. My father and my history and lineage is not one that I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of hurt and ugliness and, and that's going to end with me. My job as a father is to raise you to be the type of woman that meets the type of man that I will be proud that you carry on his legacy. And that his name is the one that's going to continue on. It doesn't have anything to do with my name right on. or my ego or, you know, your dad was. But great. you're still in it nonetheless. The The legacy is when they bring up your father, how you feel yeah. inside. Yeah. Does it empower you? Does it make you feel strong and loved? Or does it make you feel ugly on the inside and, and less than? Mm-hmm. And that's what's important. So when Abby kicks the door on this world and steps in, you know, she's going to have kicks it in the teeth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's going to step out and 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 have her chest out and her head up high and and not take any shit from any man and and not put down any man because she doesn't need a man, but just treat everyone as equals and and it's all about her loving them and them them loving her and and hopefully I can just create a very kind, loving, strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. And that is what I want my legacy to be. One more thing on carrying on the name thing. That was something that, that I wrestled with as a man, you know, and you're having a kid, you know, you want a son, you want a little you, you know, you even talked about it. You know, I, I thought about having a son, you know, I, I have cool. that desire. Yeah. And, and your son carries on your name, you know, the, the heir to the kingdom, you know? So when, when, <laughs> when I found out we were having a girl, I was like, oh, oh I'm, I'm still excited, but you I'm know, good. I really wanted to have a son, you know? And man, after Ava, you know, I mean, she, I mean, you have a girl, I don't need to tell you, she smells your heart. It's so special. And honestly, when we were having our second kid, I was like, we want another girl. <laughs> I was a little fun. disappointed the flip side that it was a boy, 
But then, you know, I kind of got, it's like, okay, especially since my brother, you know, he had two girls, you know, so the name's not going on with him. But the ironic part of it, kids with CF, adults with CF, men are usually 99% sterile. That's another adverse effect of the disease. So, you know, there's that, but that doesn't stop or inhibit, you know, whether he has a family in the future or not, or just the whole aspect of legacy just that you just beautifully put into context. So, amen. Right on. Well, brother, I really appreciate you coming out and sharing your story with us. Um, Thank you for having me. um, I appreciate that you that you didn't have to make that far of a travel. <laughs> I'm glad that you don't live all the way across the other side of, of DFW mm-hmm. anymore. That's a haul. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that anytime that someone says, I live in DFW, but they're like, yeah, I live in Allen right. or McKinney. It's like, dude, that's see not... See you in two and a half hours. See you, buddy. It was nice knowing yeah. you. Um, you know, again, uh, uh, I, man, I, I just love having you here. Thank you so much. You're somebody I respect, and and I'm so glad you shared... Likewise. ...shared this sto- your story with us, and... Thank you again for tuning in to the Circle of Dads. You do not have to be perfect, but you do have to be present. Please like us on iTunes or subscribe. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Please leave us reviews, share with your friends. Um, and remember, we chase those kids till the day we die. Love runs die. I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Bye.